Good morning, Church on the Rock. It's good to worship with you today. I'm going to read you a familiar passage that we've been in the last couple of weeks. It's Mark chapter 2, verse 18 through 19. Once, once when John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, some people came to Jesus and asked, Why don't your disciples fast like John's disciples and the Pharisees do? Jesus replied, Do wedding guests fast while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. They can't fast while the groom is with them, but someday the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. I don't know about you, but when I think of the word celebration or wedding celebration, another word comes to my mind, which is feasting. Okay? Usually when I think of feasting, I think of celebration, I think of it's usually around food or good gatherings or friends. It's usually copious amounts of just good times, right? And I don't know what you think about when you think about feasting, but I wonder if you would just take a second and when I say the word feast, what comes to your mind? Okay. I heard Thanksgiving. I heard family. I heard home-cooked meal, Thanksgiving time. Uh, maybe a Viking table comes to your mind of just somebody's a mutton right in their hand. Or I don't know. Maybe it's going out to your favorite restaurant to celebrate a promotion or a wedding or a job or a birthday. I don't know what it is for you. But when I think of celebration, I think of the word feasting. I think back to college and I think to dude week. Okay. So dude week for us in college was a week out of the year where all of the guys in the dormitories, they would take time to intentionally dive into relationship with each other. You're supposed to forego any relationship outside of like the guys you live with. Don't talk to your girlfriend. Don't call mom and dad that week. It was just bro time. Okay, and so there'd be tons of activities throughout the whole week, like just crazy stuff. Like one of the, I think one of the days we would put a huge tarp in one of the hall, the freshman hallway because we didn't care about the building. We duct tape it up and then run a water hose through there and have an indoor slip and slide. Okay, and that's the kind of stuff we would do. But the year that I was there, I had an RD called John Carr, really good guy, mentor for me, really great guy. But he loved smoking meat. He loves smoking meat. And so if you're kind of into this, Brian Howicks, if you're kind of into this, if you're kind of into this, Roger, where are you? If you're kind of into smoking meat, you know it's almost a religious experience, okay? There's the buying of the meat and this taking it out and drying it and brining it and dry rubbing it and then smoking it and then spritzing it and the charcoal and the heat and the timing of it and all of these things that go into it and the basing of it and the resting of it and then finally the shredding of it. And so when I think of feasting, I think of bro week or dude week in college when we did like 150 pounds of pork butt. And we all hung out on Tuesday night in the chapel, the prayer chapel, and there was no buns, no silverware, no sides, no condiments except for homemade barbecue sauce. And we just ate it with our hands, 150 pounds of meats, nothing else except a lot of regret in the morning, okay? But when I think of feasting, I think of that. I think it's this idea of just copious amounts of, copious amounts of food. Friends and family, not distraction, no cell phones, not TV. I think of this time of just laughter and excitement and enjoying life. And so this is the idea that I wanted to go with today is that we're not talking about fasting. I told you last week we were done talking about fasting. But you know, 
Jesus presents this idea is that when in his presence, there's celebration. And fasting begins in the absence of his presence. Fasting, and so if we have a practice to mourn or mourn the lack of God's presence internally, relationally, locally, or in our community, we've also been given a practice to celebrate his presence. So it's kind of a running small uh, joke in our small group is that I'm pretty much known for talking about three things when I get the chance. Community, John Mark Comer, and Sabbath, okay? And so today I'm going to recap for you a series that we did, a two-part series, almost two years ago exactly. And to give you just how much can change in just two years, before we had YouTube, it was just the podcast or the Sunday morning service before live streaming. And so we did a series called Sabbathing. And so today we're going to recap the idea of feasting versus fasting. Amen? Are you with me? Are you so excited to be in church today? All right, we can work with that energy. Okay. Fasting, like a star in the sky, is only one star in the constellation of spirituality. Scott McKnight. Let's pray over God's word in the time we have today. Father God, we just commit this time to you, Lord. As so many have already prayed over me and over the altar and over uh, this message today, God, I pray that it's your word, that the glory goes to you, Father. I pray it touches the heart that needs to hear it, Father God. I pray it does what it needs to do, Father God. I pray for uh, a, a willingness and excitement to receive from your spirit today, God. I pray any distractions, any pride, any hardness of heart, God, would be shut down and cast out, Father, in Jesus' name. And that we would just sit here in your presence and hear and learn from you today, Father. Would you be the teacher and would you be speaking to us today? In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to take you back to one more familiar passage that we've gone through just last week, Isaiah 58. And this time we're going to start in verse 6. It says, no, this is the kind of fasting I want. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free. Remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry. Give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them. Do not hide from your relatives who need your help. Then your salvation shall come like the dawn, and your wounds will quickly heal. Your godliness will lead you forward, and the glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. Then when you call, the Lord will answer, yes, I'm here, he will quickly reply. Remove the heavy yoke of oppression. Stop pointing your finger and spreading vicious rumors. Feed the hungry. Help those in trouble. Then your light will shine out in the darkness, and the darkness around you will be as bright as noon. Verse 11, the Lord will guide you continually, giving you water when you are dry, restoring your strength. You'll be like a well-watered garden, like an ever-flowing spring. Some of you will rebuild the deserted ruins of your cities. Then you'll be known as a rebuilder of walls and a restorer of homes. There's a couple things that we've talked about when we fast. It builds, firstly, this compassion in us and aligns us with our hearts, with what God wants to happen, with God's will. And when we align ourselves with God, blessings from God allow, are allowed to flow through him and into our lives. Amen? 
Our holiness in fasting is polished and exemplified and brought forth. But this is the interesting thing that I want to point out to you today. Is that from verse 12 to verse 13, fasting goes from fasting to Sabbathing. Keep the Sabbath day holy. Don't pursue your own interest on that day. Enjoy the Sabbath. Speak of it with delight as the Lord's holy day. Honor the Sabbath in everything you do on that day. And don't follow your own desires or talk idly. Then the Lord will be your delight. I will give you great honor and satisfy you with inheritance that I promised to your ancestors, Jacob. I, the Lord, have spoken. It's interesting to me that there's this idea of celebration and this fasting and Sabbath. And it's interesting to me how Mark or Isaiah 58 it flows right from mourning the absence of God and fulfilling the needs in the community around them into celebrating God. And so maybe you're unfamiliar with the idea or the word Sabbath today. Maybe you weren't here two years ago, two years ago or maybe uh, you don't remember every single word that's preached from this platform and it's just a little fuzzy for you. Okay, and so today we're taking time to rehash or re-bring up the spiritual practice of Sabbathing and go into it again. And I have a deep, deep connection, a deep, deep love for the Sabbath. And I'm excited to just kind of recap it and just even remind a few things that I've been learning over the course of a couple of years of practicing and implementing this in our life. We stumbled upon the Sabbath, Amy and I. The idea of Sabbathing. We, we grew up with the idea of everything shut down. And up until just probably 20 years ago, you can still remember uh, restaurants or gas stations and things that were not allowed to be open. Up until just a few years ago, alcohol was still not allowed to be sold on Sunday morning. And I think here in this state, there's a couple hours. That reason was because of Shabbat or stopping or Sabbathing. It's all going back to the biblical Jewish law of recognizing one day. But very quickly, and probably for most of us, those things are like ancient history, like trying to remember life without a cell phone. Like you just don't remember, like I remember it, like I remember it, but that has no impact on my day-to-day life now. It's just a distant, distant memory. And so Amy and I, we uh, stumbled upon the Sabbath on 2019. It was an awakening series, and in that time, we were trying to find things to study together or listen to together. And so a church called Bridgetown Church, John Mark Comer, did a series on Sabbathing. And we were coming out of a season of my youngest or my second child, my son, who was about six months at the time. And Noble had extreme eczema as a baby. Uh, just extreme, extreme eczema. He, his face, I, we looked at some photos the other day and just could not believe how just horrific his face would look how blotchy it was, and how much he would scratch in the middle of the night because of the dryness and the irritating. And so for 13 months, nobody would wake up for between three to six times a night. For 13 months. And we would try to switch off and on, but at that time we lived in a small apartment, and so if anybody was crying, we were all up. I remember my mother-in-law staying the night once, actually, and she had a Fitbit or an Apple Watch, and she was horrified how little sleep she got that one night. And we were living out of this place of extreme exhaustion. Some of you, I bet, have experienced that in this room today or online today is that idea of fatigue and just extreme amount of lack of sleep. And we stumbled on the idea of 
the Lord's Day and reestablishing rest in, the, in this year. What that looked like. I'd like to take your attention to Genesis. So in Genesis, in the very first chapter, you encounter the creation story. Let's go, God comes and he just makes all of these things. And it's interesting that when God does this, he always ends with the day of creation with saying, it is good. And in the course of the creation story, God administers three blessings. Genesis 1.22, he blesses when he makes creatures, and he blesses them to be fruitful and to multiply and fill the earth. And then Genesis 1.28, God blesses man and wife, and he blesses them to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And then fast forward to Genesis 2.3, God blesses the Sabbath. God blessed the seventh day, declared it holy, because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. So too we celebrate and participate in Sabbath. We are blessed. So too are we made holy. So too as we celebrate and participate in Sabbath are we blessed. So too are we made holy. Why did God bless animals? Why did God bless man? And what is the connection between man and animal and Sabbath? Each one of the blessings was to administer new life. He blessed the creatures to go and create more life. And he blessed the first man and the first woman to go and make more life. And the blessing of the Sabbath is that it restores life into your soul. And that is the most incredible thing to a very weary parent, parents going through night after night after night of no sleep and living and trying to work and function and take care of another child and trying to be loving and trying to be a, a person of love and just feeling so fatigued in the lack of physical rest at night that the Sabbath started bringing life back into our souls. And so that is one of the reasons that we're so about and so excited to talk about Sabbath is because it's become such an essential practice in becoming the kind of person that I want to be. The kind of father or pastor or husband or just Christ follower that I want to be. And so that's why I'm excited to talk to you about today. And so let's recap just kind of lightly and uh, generally what is Sabbath. I'm going to read this twice because I kind of wrote a big paragraph here, but it covers a lot of information very quickly. Sabbath, also known as Shabbat, or meaning to stop, is part of a natural rhythm God created from the beginning for people to find true rest and restoration in the face of infinite desire, hurry, and restlessness. We are called to remember and observe, meaning we, pre we prepare all week for one day. We divide our task lists, clean the house a little bit every day, prepare, prepare meals so one day a week we don't have to. This practice keeps our desires in check, our identity in God, our souls restored, and positions us to live our lives out of rest. Sabbath creates space for delight, worship, and rest. Sabbath is this rhythm that God created and established that positions us to work well. 
You know, God in the creation story, he goes through day by day and checks off all of these incredible things he makes. He makes light, then sky and sea, earth and planets, sun, moon, stars, creatures, man. And every time, it is good. It is good. It is good. And so God creates man, and he binds him to woman and commissions them to vocational work. Go tend to the garden, name the animals, name the plants. And he gives him career and job and meaning and purpose. Something to go do with his hands to make a living in life. And so I don't know about you. If, if you can think back to the first time that you got a job. And so day six, God gives Adam and Eve a job. Day seven, he says, have a day off. That's not really what we think. We think job orientation is the next day. Show up, ready to work, get to it. But God just made everything. He gives man his companion, and then he gives them vocation. And what does he do? He says, rest. You've done enough. We haven't done anything. That's the point. Your identity is not tied to what you do. Your identity is not tied to what you can contribute with your hands. It's meaningful. You're blessed by it. You're supposed to do it. But it doesn't define you as a person. God did all the work. And then he rested and invites us into his rest. You were made not to work, but to work out of rest. You're saying, hmm, <laughs> but how many tired people do we have in the house today? You know, what's crazy about this is you can do a very informal study and ask any person from any age, from any demographic, and whether it's a fourth grader or somebody that's retired, the answer is, I'm busy and I'm tired, but it's good. Or it's fine, but I'm busy and I'm tired. We had a whole year of stopping. How quickly did we reinitiate or refill our schedules after everything shut down? incredibly quickly. We have this need or this desire to push rest out because to sit and to just sit and be still, it's better to do anything than nothing. Get up and earn your living for today. Earn your oxygen. Get up and contribute. Even if it's your day off, go and cut the grass at least. Go, 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 go clean the bathroom. Do something. Don't just sit on the couch and not do anything. It goes against the nature, it goes against what we've been told from a young, young age is that we must scrape the ground for a living and work tirelessly until we die. But God invites Adam and Eve from the creation story. And I really believe that God is not just a story, but God is setting patterns for life. He's giving order to chaos and setting things in motion that will continue on and on and on. As I was just driving in today, I just thought about how crazy is it that our universe, that our day is so categorized, is so predictable that I can know in February it's going to be cold. The days will be short. But then spring comes, and year after year after year after year, that happens. It's crazy that our earth spins at just the right amount of time and goes around the sun just the right amount of time for it to happen over and over and over again. What a crazy coincidence. Yet God set these things in motion to create patterns into not just our lives but into our universe. And so it's much more than just a, a story of how we came about 
it's a story of origin. It's a story of order. It's a story of pattern. It's a story of strategy and what happens again and again. And so instead of inviting into work, God invites them into his rest. The work is done and continued to be done by God. And creator God gives us the example that we are to live our lives out of rest versus relentless accomplishment. And so is this still a practice that we're supposed to do in New Testament times? Isn't that just an old time? Didn't Jesus come and abolish the Sabbath? He said, get rid of it. Sabbath's not made for man. but uh, Or man's not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath's made for man. And so I take you to Exodus 20, starting in verse 8 through 11. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male or female servants, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the, Lord's, the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. It's one of the Ten Commandments. And there's not a, single other ten com- uh, not a single other commandment that you say, we're now living in the New Testament, so murder's fine. We still honor our parents. We still practice uh, throwing idols away and keeping our hearts onto God. We don't covet anything. And the Sabbath is buried in there. The Sabbath is given the only why of the All Commandments. The Sabbath is given more text than any of the other commandments. And so I believe that this is a strong, strong evidence that Sabbath practice is still relevant in today's life, in today's age. The very first thing to realize about this, though, is that it requires work. Did you know that you won't just fall into rest? You actually have to work at it. A lot of us will never stop and truly rest because we're too lazy. Isn't that ironic? It takes work the other days of the week, all six days of the week, to be able to stop on one day. It takes work to be able to leave the computer at the office, to have the laundry done, to choose that the dishwasher is empty, that the meals are prepped. It takes work to be able to live a day without working. But God prepared for that. Did you know that? He said, you'll work six days and rest one. You know, I had a 1996 Mazda B3000. Basically, it was a Ford Ranger. And I was given this truck uh, when it had incredibly high miles and a bad clutch. And so my dad found somebody on Craigslist and replaced the clutch. And I drove that truck for two years. It was an amazing truck. I loved, I still love that truck. Out of all the vehicles I've ever had, if you can get past the oil burning and coming, that smoke coming back into the cabin, besides that, I just thought it was a Roma. But besides that, it was just the best, most amazing truck I've ever had. And finally, my wife's like, we cannot, you're not going to drive our baby in this, uh, you know, toxic. If you want to die from toxins, fine, but not the baby. So I finally had to sell it when I had um, 
my kid finally got to the age where I had to start driving them. And so I sold it for 500 bucks, I think, and it was almost at 300,000 miles. Still running strong and great. And then I talked to that buddy, because it was a buddy I sold it to. I talked to him a couple, like a year or two later, and he said, yeah, I just sold the truck. Still running great. Sold it for 500 bucks. And you know what's crazy, though, is that this truck that's over 20 years old, has 300,000 miles on it, it didn't get that way just how it came out of the manufacturer. It didn't get that way how it came out of the, the factory. It required rest and work. The guy I got it from babied that thing. I am not a mechanic. I've told Chad this so many times. I'm good enough to know that I'm going to screw it up. I need somebody else to do it. Like I'm good, just good enough to know that I'm going to break something off in there and just make more of a mess. And so I did not keep that truck living. The guy who had it before me put love and care on it to the point of where he said he broke the key off one time. He had dismantled the whole end, like the whole front end and he had it all spaced out, little pieces in his garage for like three months before he meticulously put it back together to restore this one little plastic part. He kept that truck alive and going with rest and work. And there's things in us that we think we can just go drive after drive or day after day and just grind ourselves in the ground and that somehow we're going to be able to survive on three hours of work and never have a day off. For what? For more. We have a drive for more. There's always that drive to accomplish or to get a better whatever or to fix this or to upgrade the house or to, there's always so much to do but you will never, ever complete the list. You will die with things on the list that are still left to be done. There's an infinite amount of tasks that we will have before ourselves. And I'm not telling you to go out of here and be like, you know what? I can be a bum. That's not what I'm saying. Work six days and take one day off. We work hard. The curse of man is that we have to scrape a living from the ground. What once freely gave itself, now we have to work and bleed and, and bleed for. Life is work. But there's also space and balance where we can rest in God to be able to work well. So instead of working for rest, we work out of rest. Going back to the idea of Mark chapter 2, Jesus said, or actually, sorry, Mark chapter 2, verse 27, Jesus had this idea. He said, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. In an effort to keep people attentive to God's rule, to keep them far from sinning, the religious experts of the time created a vigorous standard, a way of life that almost became, if you're a good follower of God, then you will adhere to these things. And you won't do this or this or this or this or this. And the Sabbath became legalistic. And so many of the laws that you see and that's talked about in the scripture is not actually laws that God gave, but man-made to keep people from sinning. And so Jesus came and said, not that the Sabbath is something that's old and we can do away with, but that we were not made to keep the Sabbath. But the Sabbath was given for us. You, I need rest. Jesus is getting at this idea of saying you need 
rest, true rest. You need real rest. But in our society, what we need to hear is you need to stop and to rest because we have this time, we have this saying that we work hard and we what? Play hard. And so it's so easy to not actually rest when we do have time off, but to swap out entertainment and pleasure for rest. Instead of truly resting, I go home and just numb myself with TV. Instead of truly resting, I go on vacation and drive 18 hours and just do all of these crazy things so that when I get back, we need a vacation from our vacation. We work hard even when we're trying to recreationally rest. And Sabbath combats all of this. It comes back in saying, no, you need true, true rest because entertainment is not actually rest. So often, Amy preaches a couple weeks ago, it just takes doing life to get your spiritual soul a little bit out of alignment, a little bit beaten up, a little bit callous. And all the things that happen in the week, emotionally and turning in you, you just start bearing down because you got to get the job done, get the job done, get the job done. And we never give space for our soul and our body and mind to reconnect and recalibrate in alignment with God's will. Wow, Jerry really flipped out there. Yeah, because Jerry hasn't rested in 45 years, and that one thing you did didn't hold the door for them. They just exploded on you. Because there's no outlet to deal with your emotional damage that happens to you just by living life. And so Sabbath brings you into a time of stopping and full rest before God. I like how Psalm 119 says, verse 70, it says, Their hearts are dull and stupid, but I delight in your instruction. It's easy to do things that doesn't really interact with our life, but just numbs us. And when you freeze food, ideally, when you pull it back out of the freezer, it's in the same condition that you put it in there. The meat doesn't go bad, it stays in the it stays in the uh, it stays in, in the, oh man, I'm struggling with words here, guys. In the what? State. Thank you. That's a good word. Put that in there. So it stays in the same state that it was when you put it in there. And so when I go home and numb myself to, by TV or through food or through whatever you fill in the blanks or going to whatever, it just keeps my mind satiated, not really dealing with things. Many of you probably in the Awakening series did away with media. Maybe you said, I'm going to delete these apps or not watch TV or not play video games or whatever. And I wonder, you know, what happened for us is that we started going to bed earlier, started spending more time with me and Amy. We started playing more board games or inviting more people over, going to people's houses. And when you shut those things off that numb us, we start engaging with life once again. But it's so easy to think I'm living life but just actually going through the motions. Because you have to. You have to get up. You have to go to work. You have to feed the kids. You have to, you know, chase the dog because they just run down the street. You have to do those things. But if we don't give space for true rest, you're going to wear out early. And you're going to break down early. And so what does Sabbath look like practically? Hopefully I've given you a little bit of a taste or excitement to jump into this. Hopefully I've set up the understanding of a need that you, that you need this. But what does it look like? And so it kind of revolves around three words. Delight, rest, and worship. 
I'd like you to just think right now of a time that you felt truly delighted. Just a memory that you just go, just, you just save it, you pull it out, you just wish you could be back there. Some of those things for me are going to a friend's house and pulling out a new board game, saying, I got to leave at 11, and then checking my watch, and it's 5 a.m., and we all stood up and played games throughout the night, just enjoying each other's company. I think of Christmas morning where work is shut off and the computer is away and I celebrate Christmas with my kids coming downstairs and eating a good meal and reading the Christmas story and sitting on the couch and opening presents, taking naps together. What is your moment? What is your memory of delight? You know, this is not a, um, this is not a bragging thing. But our kids have learned to love Sabbath. Almost every day of the week they ask, is it Sabbath yet? Is it Sabbath yet? And you know, the reason for that is not because they love memorizing scripture or something like that, or they love spiritual disciplines at the age of three. The reason for that is because every Sabbath dinner, when we start on Friday night, we light a candle and we have a good meal. After that, we have a Sabbath dessert. And it's a good dessert. Like... Uh, like uh, homemade brownies with vanilla ice cream, not just vanilla, vanilla bean, like slow churned, full fat, full calories, dump the tub on it. Like it's homemade. It was Groundhog's Day. Amy made a bunch of Groundhog uh, cupcakes with them, okay? That was our breakfast this last week, was a breakfast chocolate cupcake. There's a Jewish saying that says that they would give their kids a spoonful of honey every Sabbath so their kids would remember that Sabbath is sweet. We started trying from a young age to brainwash our kids into Sabbathing and loving it. And they do. Because it's the day where all of the good things come out. We go to the donut shop and we get fresh made donuts. We go to the roastery where we love and get fresh made coffee. We pull out special bins of toys that they only can play with on the Sabbath. Because God gave you things to delight in. And so easy is to get into the mindset of just we need the new thing or the, the next thing and forget the things that God has given us. And so the very first thing that we do on the Sabbath is to go and just delight with what God has provided. That can look like enjoying the things that you really, really love. That can look like going outside. As I was driving in today and knowing I was going to preach this, looking at the sunrise and just thinking how incredibly beautiful it was. I can't tell you the number of times I've had a God life-changing moment on a baseball bleacher at 11 o'clock at night and looking at stars. And the majesty and the amazingness and the creation just started working on me. And so the very first thing, the very first filter to run your activities by is do I delight in this? You know, I do not delight in my phone. I love Angry Birds. I really like watching YouTube, but it never, ever gives me life in my soul. It just numbs me out. And so we try to shut our phones off because I have very, very poor self-discipline. If it's on, I'm going to look at it. And so it requires shutting our phone off and putting it on the mantle and not looking at it. 
But what does bring me delight is lighting a candle and playing a board game with my wife. And we talk and we listen to music and we eat good food and we play games. And the next filter is, does it promote worship in you? Because the Sabbath was given for you to connect with God. And so first, I love Psalms 34, 8. It says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. Psalms 37, 4. Take the light in the Lord. He'll give you your heart's desires. How often do you come and worship God? Then the day to day, you just don't have time. You don't take time. You're too busy to actually sit and be with him. And so on the Sabbath, often I'll just read Psalms. I have a book that somebody gave me. It's just all the Psalms. And so that's what I read. A lot of times we'll just read in. No set number, I just read through them until I'm done. You know, it takes time for my soul to start recalibrating with God. It won't normally happen for me in the morning. It won't happen in the afternoon. It takes almost the whole 24 hours for me to find a place where I start experiencing God. You know, the crazy thing about Jonah the prophet is that he misses the story that God's trying to give him by 12 inches. He has all these things in his head, but it never gets to his heart. And so easy we can experience, we know God, we know our Bible, we go to worship, we go to church, we go to the prayer meetings, we go whatever, we listen to the podcast, we know all the knowledge, but it never gets into our heart, into our soul. We never experience it. We never begin to delight in it, because it's just information. And so on Sabbath, we sit and we begin to in, walk into worship. What does worship look like for you? Maybe it's being outside on a walk. Maybe it's putting on your music that you just love, worship music, and reading a psalm or a chapter in your Bible or whatever. Sitting in quiet and just looking out the window with an open journal. So does it bring me delight? Do I begin to worship in this? And lastly, am I resting? We try to avoid anything that feels like work or leaves us feeling tired. You know, sometimes a lot of my job is office work. A lot of my job is writing or phone calls or meetings. And so sometimes in the summer, Sabbath and rest looks like for me is going to my shop and just making something. Cabinet or tree or... Uh, whatever, just making a box, and I have to work with my hands, and that actually pr promotes rest in me. Sometimes when we first started and started getting into this, it looked like napping three times. I'd wake up with the kids and let Amy sleep in, and then she'd get up, and I'd go take a nap, and I'd get up, and we would do lunch, and the kids would take a nap, and I would take a nap, and then we'd all wake up, and we'd play a game, and then Amy would go and take them for a walk, and I would take another nap. I'm serious. It's incredible if you give yourself the chance how much sleep you'll uh, allow yourself to go through. How tired are we that we just don't know because we operate on this uh, working fatigue? And so does the activity actually generate and promote rest in you? You know, uh, one of the great, great prophets that I've lived my life by is children's singer's name is Rafi. And he has a song that says, all I need is a song in my heart, food in my belly, and love in my family. And that's really it. 
taking time to enjoy the things that we have in life. Enjoy and bringing relationships into your life. Having friends or family over. Enjoying your family that you have with you. Enjoying your relationship with God. And just settling down and actually worshiping and resting with him. I just want to leave you with this final picture. Um, is that, have you ever been to a stream as a kid or taking your kids to a stream and it's just like crystal clear? I don't know if you guys do this here, but we would go and like, uh, there's one particular stream that they had little crawfish. And, you, and we would go take them, cans, and you would, we would try to go collect them and capture them or throw them at each other because they, they pinch. And so, you know, we're, I don't know, crazy kids. And so we just chuck them at each other and try to latch them onto each other's face. And so, but as soon as you begin running through the stream, as soon as you begin trying to catch those fish and they just scuttle away, what happens? The dirt and the muck just starts mixing all together. And all of a sudden, what you could see super clearly is all mixed and muddled. Your soul is like that. Every day you go out through the week and your soul begins to get chipped and muddled and messed up. And the only answer to letting it clear and become pure again is to let it sit. Go home, take a jar of dirt and water and shake it up and just set it there and let it sit. It'll It'll clear out all by itself. You don't have to do a thing. You don't have to buy a bigger jar. You don't have to go work harder. You don't have to uh, buy somebody else to come and shake it for you. You can just let it sit. And so Sabbath or Shabbat is this time of every week we come before God and just sit and rest. And the blessing of the Sabbath is it begins to restore life into your soul. True rest, God's rest, the day of rest, the Lord of rest, the blessing of rest. Not just entertainment, not just pleasure, but true Holy Spirit-inspired rest. You need it. I need it. We were created to live out of it. And so just this is a real quick list, really quick of what it might look like for you. The first thing is this, is start with what you have. All of us in this room and online are in different seasons of life. All of us have different responsibilities. And maybe you don't have 24 hours where you can dedicate in Sabbath. Do you have three? Do you have six? Do you have 12? I was reminded of this we, a couple weeks ago, we had a really busy Saturday and we couldn't get out of it. We had to go to some events and stuff. And you know, I was like, I don't have any time. Just forget it. We're not Sabbathing this week. And Amy said, we have, we, have, we have the morning. Let's just Sabbath the morning. Start with what you have. Whether with family or by yourself, distance yourself from technology. Focus on relationships, whether that be horizontally or vertically. Isaiah 58, we have this uh, saying, is, is it Sabbath worthy? Honor the Sabbath in everything you do on that day. Run it through the filter of, does this bring me delight, worship, or rest? And be easy on yourself. It's a practice. Amy and I have been implementing this into our lives for going on four years now. And we still have weeks where we go, that, man, really, really did not rest well this weekend. Really did not Sabbath well. And guess what? 
next Sabbath is just six days away and you get to practice it all over again. Be easy on yourself. Light candles. Eat a good meal. Sing. Worship with your community. Walk. Nap. Make love if you're married. Read. Spend time alone with God. Spend time with family and friends. Sabbath is the best day of the week. Pull out all the special things. Wayne Mueller says, Sabbath is a time to stop, to refrain from being seduced by our desire. Instead of buying the new coffee maker, make coffee in the old one and sit with your spouse on the couch. Hang out. Do what they do in the advertisement picture. Just stop. That is all, after all, what they're selling you in the picture. People who have stopped. You cannot buy stopped. You simply have to stop.